Hello and welcome to Repertoire Happy Hour. It's the first of um, the autumn season, actually. We, we've been away for the summer. We haven't had a show in, in some time. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by three guests tonight to talk about spectacular bands. Uh, I did have a mask ready for this, by the way, um, but it's way too big to actually put on the screen. <laughs> so um, so you can, you can just imagine me... Uh, being scary. Um, I am uh, absolutely delighted to welcome back my regular guest, and I think I think at this point we really should uh, call Gail our co-host of the Repertoire Happy Hour. <laughs> Gail, thank you so much for joining us again. It's good to have you back. You bet. It's nice to be back and on such a fun show. I have my good witch on tonight, which I decided that I would wear, and I told my band the other night that if they didn't settle down that I would turn into the bad witch, you know, the evil witch. So, yeah, it, it works both ways. So, so great well, to be here, Keith. You now stream your rehearsals on your Facebook group for your band. So I've been able to watch some of those rehearsals. Have and, you? And, and, I can, and I can say um, it's nothing but a good witch. Oh, at well, all times. well, Glinda <laughs> all the time, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm really delighted to be uh, welcoming two, uh, two, fr two friends, I think, at this point, I can say. Um, I've had the chance to meet both in person, um, which actually is unlike most of my guests that I've had on over the last year because it's, you know, it's COVID, it's the pandemic times, we're meeting new people online these days. Um, but I have had the chance to meet our two guests uh, this evening. Uh, our first guest is a composer from New Jersey, uh, Peter Schiano. Uh, it's, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. I'm deli always delighted when we can welcome a composer onto the show too because we can talk about your repertoire too and talk about your, your work. Peter, welcome to the Repertoire Happy Hour. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. It's great. And Gail and Nick, pleasure. How are things for you? Uh, you were mentioning off-show that you're looking forward to uh, heading to Midwest this year. Will that be your first yeah. major convention? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's things, you know, seem to be... I, I'm, I hate to say knock on wood because I've been knocking on wood for 19 months like all of us. But <laughs> it seems like things, uh, you know, are looking, looking a little bit up again. And uh, yeah, I'll be heading to Midwest and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing people for sure, as is everybody. You know, the buzz is, is, uh, is, is, is definitely at a high, a high level right now for, for getting together and seeing everybody and seeing some groups and getting a chance to uh, reconnect. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think that, and as you say, the anticipation is incredibly high, I think. Um, and then... Uh, my, my my final guest is someone that I've had here in Ireland and we've spent time together and we've been able to uh, connect again at Midwest actually previously yeah. too. Um, this is Nick Efstathieu. I'm, I'm always, that sort of sound, the sound in your second name isn't in the Irish dialect at all. So I'm always worried that I get it wrong, but I think, I think I'm close. Man, you, you you did an outstanding job. I mean, I'm really impressed. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I'm delighted to welcome you to the repertoire. Happy hour. How are you, Nick? Man, I'm wonderful. I can't complain one bit. I'm honored to be here and humbled to be here, especially with Pete and Gail and yourself here. But um, I'm just excited about tonight and looking forward to this spooky music. <laughs> well, you've all sent me forward your music for uh, tonight, and I know some of you struggled with it more than others. Uh, it's a hard topic to try and narrow down. I do, I do, I do know that there's a lot of great music written yeah. for this, and it wasn't until I kind of picked the the topic, which was an easy one, in fairness, given the the weekend that we're that we're having uh, but it wasn't until i picked the topic that i realized just how much repertoire there was out there great repertoire um uh, at both a young age and a more advanced age that, that we can talk about 
tonight. So really looking forward to that. Uh, but before we get into our repertoire, this is the happy hour. And so this is where we talk about band, but we talk about booze and band. <laughs> Sometimes it's not booze. Uh, so let beverages. me start with, uh, with our beverages and band. Much, yes. much better, much better game. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start tonight. I have a new brand of Irish lager. Um, it's called Island's Edge. It's made by Heineken uh, down in Cork. Uh, and it says the tagline for it is... Uh, unexpectedly refreshing which isn't something that you think about when you think about an irish style but i had a taste of it <laughs> just before the stream uh just while the music was playing there and it is it's actually because it's made with a tea extract and uh and, and cocoa beans in there as well so it's, mm. it's it's a very different type of stout it's it's not your typical guinness uh and it's it's really nice um so so that's island's edge from 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 down in in cork gail i know you were going back and forward on what you were going to have for tonight yeah we're talking about making cocktails and everything what, what right 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 well and you, keith you forgot to tell about the one you wanted to have and you couldn't oh, get oh i did get, yeah tell so that. that's a good story there's a there's a beer a craft beer here called hobgoblin um, which I've had a couple of times. The name is cool, and the brand, the bottle is really cool. It's really well designed and everything like that. And it would have been yeah. perfect for Halloween. Um, but actually, I think this is nicer. Actually, sure. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Hobgoblin, so I think I, I ended up. Win <laughs> I think I ended up winning out, and I got a free glass as well. You know. So. Wow! Really? Uh, I'm not sponsored. So. <laughs> <laughs> is that a You're open to it. You're open. Yeah. Uh, open open to calls yeah. yes 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 of course yes. <laughs> well michigan is well known for its uh craft beers and we my husband and i love to try all the different craft beers and things um and the one i really wanted was called witch's brew which is a little bit like your hobgoblin mm -hmm. and uh also couldn't find that one but i happened to look in my refrigerator and i like porters and stouts and ipas and this one's called the distorter which I thought was feather kind of, you know, uh, appropriate for the type of music we're playing tonight. And it's a porter and it is from the Greenbush Brewing Company, which is in southern Michigan. And I like that one because they have where that I have, too. And that's my, my initials, GB, Greenbush. So oh. I just like that. I have a little glass that has that on there. So, you know, but tonight and it's good. It's a really good porter. If you like porters, it's delicious. So the distorter is the one so I'm drinking tonight. Michigan Michigan does seem to have a real craft beer mm, sort of mm -hmm. vibe, doesn't it? It's very, it does. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's very um, uh, modern in that sense. I, I think even mm -hmm. your your sister-in-law, Susan, when when, right. when I was over there with you, actually lives right beside this like really cool craft yeah. brewery and everything. It, they're, yeah. they're everywhere, these microbreweries. Oh, everywhere, the microbreweries. Yeah. Well, you know, Michigan and uh, Wisconsin were huge in the beer industry, you know, back in the turn of the last century. So the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, Bud, uh, Miller, uh, Pabst, all of that stuff came out of Milwaukee. And there was a lot of them out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is I'm only about a half hour from. So and we have really very good water here. I mean, our groundwater really is very good water. And that's a big part of what the, the brewers will tell you, you know, mm. when you talk to them about it is the way it then, you know, goes with the yeast and all the hops and everything like that. So we certainly have enjoyed it. It's very much like different kinds of wines. Those of you who love to do different types of wines and things like that, that's kind of what uh, beers are around here. So yay for Michigan beer, someone said. <laughs> yay for Michigan beer. <laughs> if you're in the Facebook group, uh, make sure you uh, you click allow, and then we'll be able to see your name when you're posting as well. Uh, if you're pacing from the Facebook page or from YouTube, we'll be able to see right. your name. Uh, right. But you're, yeah, if you're in the group, uh, click allow, and then we'll be able to see who you are and be able yeah. to get back to you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Nick, um, what what do you have for us tonight? Man, since I'm in Georgia and the uh, Braves are playing in Atlanta tonight, uh, I've got the just the Coca-Cola <laughs> classic. Yeah, I love Coke. You know, 
Yeah, so I'm just partaking in a, a cold, frosty Coke. You know, not much. No, it's the original taste. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. The first six episodes of Repertoire Happier, um, I, I was, uh, I for some reason just decided to take a break from 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 <laughs> having alcohol for six months. Uh, you don't, you launch a hap, uh, podcast called Repertoire Happier and then decide to take a, a break from alcohol for six months. So. <laughs> You know, so um, and it was the, the the Irish man was the one man not drinking on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Peter, uh, New Jersey is it known for its craft beers at all? You know, I think there are some that have hopped up. You know, yeah. popped up. Oh, that was funny. Uh, <laughs> around, but but I'm not really an expert to be honest with you. I, I actually, my friends tease me all the time because I'm I, I treat my coffee like many tra- treat their craft beers oh, in terms yeah. of you know of where they might shop for it and the things they're looking mm. for. I'm a notorious coffee snob. So I thought I would go with a beautiful uh, Ethiopian roast here that I that I did a pour over of my own with my fabulous New Jersey coffee mug. Oh, there it is. Right there, Excellent. Right? So while I may be, uh, you know, offending some of uh, <laughs> my Irish ancestors a little bit <laughs> from Ross Common area as well. There we go. Yeah. I have to admit, uh, this is hitting the spot right now on a cold day. I so I, I haven't had a chance to talk to a coffee snob on the podcast. <laughs> oh, please. Years, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me dig into this a little Any bit. Any good coffee uh, snob will talk for at least an hour of the podcast. About... Yeah, we love that too. Well, yeah. we might get to the repertoire at some point. Um, <laughs> hey. Tell me, so if you see someone making instant coffee, like, is it just like an absolute travesty? I, so, so, so I try to be careful because people get very, you know, people are looking for me to offend them. And, you know, when, I, when I'm in the room, like, you know, I have friends like, you know, you know, putting their Dunkin Donuts grinds into their coffee machine and staring at me like, go ahead, say something, you know, and <laughs> area. Hey, we, we all have, we, you know, you got to use what you got to use. But but my theory is always like you only get so many cups of coffee in a day before, like, you know, has a negative effect, at least on me. Some people maybe can do better, but I can go too. I do my morning coffee. I do my happy hour coffee, as it turns out. So this worked out pretty perfectly. And and if I'm going to have only two cups, they're going to be the best two cups that I could possibly have, unless yeah. I'm going to, you know, traveling or you know, and not not so conveniently uh, available mm. to me. So so yeah, I, I have to say I um, I definitely uh, have found that New Jersey has a couple of good small batch roasteries. Okay. That, that um, have started to pop up, and it's become more popular. You know, there's been kind of, sort of a renaissance. You know, uh, mm-hmm. after the Starbucks, you know, rise right. of of the '90s. You know, it seems now in in, in 2000s, really, I guess you could say. Yeah. It seems like now in the last decade or so, these these smaller batch batch roasters have popped up all over the place, and it's mm-hmm. and it's great fun. It's just it's just this really is the same as the you know the small batch uh, yeah. the small uh, breweries. You know, sure, and, absolutely. So. And the wineries and things. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's so so what you sorry no, Nick. Uh, no so what you're saying is my dun- my Dunkin <laughs> my Dunkin Donuts coffee Uh-oh. is, is, is here we is, go uh, <laughs> okay, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going back to that is that, that 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 is totally fine like I'm all in on that like I I'll, I'll you know my I, my son goes to Taekwondo class you know and I'm over there on a regular basis down the you know neighboring town and there's a Dunkin Donuts right there and sometimes you know that's that's what I have and I'm gonna enjoy it and that's totally fine. But if I'm making it in my at my house, you know, 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go the extra mile as long yeah. as I have a moment. So mm-hmm. yeah. So I got no problem with the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so I, I also don't want keep that situation where he can't get a sponsorship. You know, <laughs> from so, Dunkin' so Donuts. I'm not be negative about any major corporation. But uh, you can, you can't get Dunkin' Donuts here in Ireland. No, so, but um... but you know who knows to pick you up stateside. You know, we'll yeah, yeah, star, yeah star, star, Starbucks. I am willing to talk. Yes, um... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're looking for a band podcast in their in their portfolio. That was that was that was the that was the uh, reason behind starting this. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Yes. You know, the coffee pods, uh, the podcast. It all it's oh, all coming together, Keith. All coming together. Wow, I hadn't thought of it. I missed that one. I missed that one. You know, it's funny. You know, you growing up uh, in Ireland, like coffee just wasn't a thing at all. Uh, You know, you had you had just tea, tea. Like we're the same as the same as the British in that way. You know, tea is um, tea is king here over coffee Mm. still to this day. I'd say, Um, but uh, definitely like my my coffee as well. Probably drink too much of it. Yeah. (laughs) So this is the repertoire happy hour, and this month, obviously, if you haven't noticed by the ghoulish green and glaring colors, uh, it's all about scary band music, and that's not just the music that's too hard to play that's put in front of you. It's music that's intended to sound scary, and throughout the podcast, I'm going to be asking each of my guests, what is it that makes a, a piece scary? What is it that makes a piece of music inherently scary and, and and i know each one of you had different types of choices in what you went for here and it's going to be interesting to see what your own perspectives on that are um we will talk about beginning band music intermediate band music and advanced music and we'll learn a little bit about each of our guests as we go along as well but we'll start with our beginning band music and i thought it'd be really nice to start with peter on this one today um peter you have uh, quite a quite a large catalog now at this stage of of this level of, of of music is it is it you know speaking to some composers it's an it's it's a it's a, a level that they find quite difficult to write for but some it, is it a, is it a level that you enjoy writing for yeah no I, I, it can be difficult for sure just because i think there's you know i think the uh being compo- you know taking composing lessons or or becoming a composer organically however you end up doing it there's a sense of freedom that you kind of are looking for right we all are just looking to you know self expression and then when you start writing for this you know grade 1 or you know 1.5 or anywhere in that neighborhood i guess uh, some people could easily see that as a limitation you know like oh well now you can be free but only within this you know range of notes and only with these sorts of rhythms and this instrumentation and and while that's true i i'm one of the people that like when I'm teaching composition or elements of composition to students, I think limitation really frees people a little bit because when you say write, write a melody, but only use three notes, you know, obviously that's not the case for a grade one piece, but you know, if you were doing that as a, as an exercise, it's almost freeing to not be writing the greatest melody of all time or, you know, Mm -hmm. writing something that can be really effective, but just again, with a certain kind of scope. So I, so I think that, so it's kind of fun, a fun challenge at this point, though I don't think it always was. I, I certainly didn't, you know, you know, get into composing to sit down and, and start with a grade one piece of music, though that was an early thing that I wanted to try to do because it was, you know, the feedback and the and the working with young students was so much fun. But mm. you know, the but the the you know the aesthetic of it was not maybe the first thing you think of when you say I want to start writing music. <laughs> um, and 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 that said, I, I think that that's evolved into into being something that I actually enjoy writing for as much as anything else. 
you know, even if it wasn't the first type of music I, I found to be interesting to write. Yeah. I, I spoke to um, uh, Darcy Williams on, on this podcast and Wesley Brodnax um, a, a few mm -hmm. few episodes ago uh, about us living it at a time where the, this type of music, beginning band music, um, is just at a higher level than it than it's ever been before. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have the excellent choices that we have. Um, you know, when I when when I, even when I was playing it with, with with band as a as a kid kid growing up, um, it seems to be something that composers like yourself um, take as a very serious platform for their music. It's not just something that is to be played. You know, a very simple part. There's an actual art form to it, and there's there's a you take a grade one part just as seriously as you would yeah. a, a more advanced part. Um, would I be right in saying that? I mean, there just seems to be a so. shift in the mentality. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think we all, at some point, you know, in a certain age group, grew up playing, you know, music out of a, a lesson book or something like that, mm -hmm. that we all could, you know, get together and play. But it was very uh, basic in, in terms of its melodic content and and super basic in terms of its percussion or or any of the mm -hmm. supporting parts. And so, so I think that, the challenge, the challenges that the composers have taken on to try to find music that's educational in value and has actually helped things become more artistic. Because when you have a tuba student who's been practicing just as long as the trumpet student, the trumpet student doesn't need to have the melody every single every single time. The yeah, poor tuba right. players, you know, been working on on their parts too. And so, so how can we? What what can I now write in a grade one piece that's going to give those tuba players a chance? Uh, to, to play something that's a little bit of a feature or something that's going to challenge them to use the skills they've been working on in class now in a in a performance or, or kind of a, a little something to reach for, maybe something even a little bit more challenging than some of the stuff they, they had seen typically. And I think that 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 renaissance, if you will, of, of, of grade early grade music um, has has been really fun to see. And I think, you know, when the last few Midwest conventions, some some of those tunes if you didn't look at the program you might not think like it's like okay that was a beginner band right. tune. but i think right. if you listen to beginner band tune from like 25 30 years ago yeah. it was pretty obvious that it was a beginner band tune and, that, and it's not a knock on what it did it served its mm. purpose and it obviously right. still uh it was it was was something that people were were happy to, to play and sure. kids were interested in playing but but now yeah. it's it's they i think composers are finding ways to to make it sound a little bit more mature organically i guess you know and, yeah and i think well, that's mm -hmm. kind of cool right Keith, can I say, uh, just I think I'm the oldest one in the in the room here, um, just historically, I would like to say that I know um, beginning band was uh, like the first division band method. We all had those. Remember all the, the blue book and the red book and the whatever book. And then there was that whole series that was just band music for young bands. And that was about it. You know, when I was a kid, as well as when I was first started teaching back in the 70s, that's really where you went to try to find something that was for band. And there were like maybe four real lines, Peter, yeah. you you know, and that was about it. Uh, that other one's just copycatted, you know. But uh, the thing that I think has happened that's beautiful is that um, a lot of band directors started composing for their bands for those very reasons that Peter just said, which is the tuba kid had practiced a long time. The trombones needed to have something to let them do slurs and all this stuff, you know. So it evolved into it uh, out of necessity, I think, in a lot of ways. And then those people that were the composers are realizing, hey, there is a market for this. Yeah. And then one thing led to another, led to another. And, and then it became an art, which I think is fantastic. But um, just historically, that for Keith particularly, who uh, didn't grow up in the, in the United States, that's kind of where that, I think, anyway, in what I've seen, 
uh, where it evolved from. So I'm thrilled to see composers writing for that kind of level of band over the years. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's been more educators getting involved in composition, mm -hmm. at least that, that's right. my perspective, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that's only been a positive thing, especially at those younger grade levels. Right, because yeah. they certainly understand the need for various reasons. Oh, um, yeah. Going over the break yeah. and whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's well, it's true, incredibly welcome by... By, by by let's say community bands in 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 oh, ireland where, where you have a lot of adult beginners or mm -hmm. maybe they're not even beginners maybe they're just less advanced adults yeah. that, that have never progressed past a certain point so to have mature music um yeah. that that has an emotional impact at a grade one level is incredibly helpful actually to yeah. to, to community bands and i'm sure to plenty of community bands in 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 the us as well that would have mm -hmm. similar sort of make, makeup um any of the new horizon bands i'm thinking as well you know that to have good right. level grade one to grade two, three music yeah. is, is incredibly important i think it is um, yeah. so Peter, I want to get talking about your choice then, because actually a lot of this grade one music, you'll find that sometimes that has a hook to it, to just something to make it a little bit different, a little yeah. bit interesting, something to engage the kids. And this piece um, certainly has that. Can you tell me about your your choice at this level? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. There's, I, I chose this one because it kind of checked three boxes for me, actually, you know, and one of them is that hook. There's like a creativity hook that I'm always looking mm -hmm. for and, and trying to think about in a young band piece. And it could be something that's actually, you know, melodic or harmonic in content. But most of the times it's something a little different, uh, something that you're bringing an element maybe outside of the band world into it. Um, for In this case, um, and there's there's some non-typical percussive sounds that are that are happening there using non-traditional percussive instruments, specifically ripping of paper. <laughs> Right, just just that simple sound, and we all know that sound. But to, to to add that element, I think is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it's something that will get, you know, obviously some attention from students. But from a young age, again, if you're if you're, this is probably a good, you know, starter band or maybe a sixth grade band here in in the states kind of level piece. What what you would find, I think, is that the kids can can right away see that there's an openness, there's a creativity to this stuff that we're doing. It's not just play the notes on the page. There's a little bit of freedom and excitement that the composer can bring into that. And and hopefully as they move forward, you know, the idea of bringing in, you know, a different a different element or of of sound or a different instrument into the band setup is 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 more welcomed. And I think that people have been doing that a little bit more especially in the past year with the flex pieces being so, mm -hmm. so much yeah. so emphasized is that some people are able to bring in some instruments that they haven't typically brought into the to the fold with the flex stuff, not just, you know, non you know not so typical band instruments just yeah. you know like a violinist now who can join in the band in a certain yeah. time in of need so i think that that you're going to see a little bit more over the next few years of people kind of pulling those kinds of things in because because it it's this there's something about band music we've always been open to new music i think that's right. one of the beauties yeah. of a band as a and 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 i have a lot of close friends in the string orchestra community and and I think that there's a traditionalism there that they feel sort of like, you know, tied to, and that's great. And while there's a traditional element to the band world as well, um, I think that there's always been a push toward new music. The fact that we're even having a podcast about repertoire here, and <laughs> I bet you a lot of these pieces are going to be written in the last 10 years, probably, to my, mm -hmm. my, is my estimation, yeah. tells you that there's so much music put out there every year. And, and it's not just teachers looking for something new because they don't want to do the same piece over and over again. It's this sense of the spirit of, of moving forward and, and being creative and being open. So if we can show kids in the, at the grade four, five, and six level 
that you know are grade one two band pieces that you can bring this stuff in into your band world and keep things open and be fresh and creative and have that spirit. I think that's only a positive thing. Yeah, yeah. That that was one of the things that it checked. And the other thing is uh, there's a cross curricular component that you know I always find mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Should I say I pieces that. at this point? Probably it might be a good idea. I, I'm not, I just realized <laughs> I probably haven't mentioned it. So I chose Tyler R. Carey, who's a, a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, the also the instrumental editor over at Excelsior Music Publishing um, wrote this piece this year uh, called Ripper, <laughs> and and it's got as I mentioned before the tearing of music and and he said that you know I was talking to him about it he said that he took uh, you know one day he was coming home and there was a bunch of junk mail and he was just tearing up the junk mail and that sound was like oh that'd be a cool name a cool cool element to add into a band piece you know <laughs> and so so he was trying to think of ways to do it. And the the con the 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 idea started to get into the Jack the Ripper, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> now that I was kind of joking, like saying, like that's kind of a gruesome thing for maybe a young band. You're not going to talk about Jack the Ripper with you know a nine year old necessarily, but maybe maybe you are. I mean, it's 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 a it's a certain moment in time where we can we can you know students are studying you know the late 1800s and just the kind of you know, drama that went on around the world and things like that. So I think I think there's room for it in, in some curriculums if you want to pull that cross-curricular component in, which I think sure. is always fun. And then the third box that it kind of checked was the percussion. You know, so it, the, the percussion is plentiful at the young age. It's It's got a lot of this metallic sort of sounding percussion. So you've got, you know, there's a China symbol, there's uh, an anvil sound in there. Um, there's, uh, a, there's a tam-tam, there's snare drum playing on the rim as well as the on the snare itself. So things that just kind of get those guys playing something mm -hmm. that, that is, yeah. is kind of unique, I think is helpful too. And I know as a, when you're dealing with a young band, especially whether it be an honor band or your band, you see every day, you got those guys in the background, in the back of uh, the band setup. You're, we all know we're trying to find them. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing scarier Keep than them that interested. <laughs> Yeah, they're at the scary element right there, right? Forget about the so, so, so that's, that's the one I chose, it's called Ripper. Well, this is Ripper by Tyler Carey. Uh, and after we have a listen to this extract, I'm going to ask Nick a question about this piece. Um, so, Nick, um, be prepared for a question on this piece. <laughs> All right. You've All said right. exam at the end of this. <laughs> you didn't say there was going to be test. <laughs> Okay, so I think we all heard the ripping part there, and mm -hmm. that we 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 started it there at that part and ended it at the ripping part, and and that's what my question is, Nick. Nick, you've taught beginning bands and you've taught middle school and and high school bands. Uh, 
tell me how would you go about rehearsing that piece because as soon as i heard it i was like that's a cool concept but um that could be a disaster in my rehearsal room unless i came up with something some interesting way so if i'm going to take that part out for next year what advice would you give to me for rehearsing a piece like that I would hold the ripping paper part to last. That's the first <laughs> thing I would probably do because knowing the kids that I have taught, they'd say, Oh, rip the piece of paper. And the first thing I do is rip the music, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and then they wouldn't have it again. And then they lose, you know, but um, that's the first thing I'll do, honestly. And uh, you know, and I would just, I'll just, I'll just start there and then and just start one note at a time. What notes do they know? And, and uh, work on the, the, the scale passages that work with that, you know, and, mm. but yeah, I would, I would definitely not mention anything about ripping paper. Cause once one guy <laughs> does it, they all start doing it. And then There's some good suggestions in the program notes for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk, talk ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the other, yeah. one of the other reasons I, I, I chose it, I meant to say also is that it's a new piece that just came out. And I think right now I wanted to make sure when I was choosing the three tunes that I chose at least one that was, brand new from 2020 or 2021, because I know the, the past couple of years have been tough on the, on the publishing companies. And I, and I know I'm choosing, I'm, I'm thinking about buying some of the newer stuff that yeah. maybe got either passed over in 2021 or is, or 20 and, or just coming out in 2021 and trying to give it a little attention. So that this one is, it just came out for this 2021 year. Yeah. Fantastic. Like well, there'll be links to all of this in the show notes as well. And you'll be able to find out the entire program on the um uh, on the website as well so you'll be able to find out where to go and get that um nick when you uh, got the task of picking three pieces for a halloween program what do you think of when you think about scary band music what, what makes it scary because you have some really interesting choices here that well um, you know the first thing i thought about was i was thinking about my audience and I was thinking about uh, just, you know, what would draw people in to come listen to a spooky band concert? And uh, the mm -hmm. first thing I thought of was just the titles, really. And um, that way you could educate them on a plethora of music. And so uh, the first one I picked was was Spooky Mansion. And uh, one reason I picked this one was just because um, um, this year we're, uh, was my we're teaching fifth graders how to play. We've been playing for six or seven weeks. And um, I was actually looking for music to play for Halloween, just trying to get them in the, in the mood and all that. And I found spooky mansion just was, was I think FJM just, uh, released it or published it or, or either this year or last year. And I was like, man, that sounds pretty cool. So I, we ordered it and got it and we started reading it and, you know, and, uh, so that's kind of like, I was basing the whole thing off of with that, with, with the combination of titles, with the, the distance chords that maybe resolve or don't resolve. And then, you know, um, just, as much tension and maybe could tell a story, so to speak. And, um, like, like just, you know, with, with the, uh, escape from Plato's cave piece, you know, I, I just was thinking that there's so much tension and release in that section. That's just like a, basically a horror movie, you know? And, um, and that's what kind of my mindset was, was more of an audience. What would the audience really enjoy to get them bought into what we are doing? And then, because, you know, when you have a successful audience and they're, they like what you're doing, you could do anything you want and, um, it'll be good. <laughs> And so that's kind of like the, the position I kind of took. So this is um, this is the second time that we've had a, a piece by uh, Tim Tim Lost uh, on on the podcast, and I know Gail uh, has, has selected his music in the past too. Uh, tell me a little bit about Spooky Mansion, and then we, we'll play a we'll play an extract from it. Well, you know, like I said, we I picked it for the the fifth graders that just started playing at the beginning of September, and um, oh. what I did was I just. 
we we I kind of went a different approach this year, and I went and had and taught them soul fret fetch based on the notes, and didn't do any books. And I just wanted to instead of trying to teach them transposition because that kind of confused them. I just said, all right, we're going to go with do. So re mi fa so la ti do. So I could just say do, and we all know what note we're playing on based off of the key of B flat. And um, it's turned out really well. And um, I think the most frustrating part I'm having now is trying to get them. All right, this is a B flat, and that means it's a C concert. <laughs> And so I don't know what I was doing, but um, but <laughs> realistically, it's it's I think it's worked well on the sound they're making as opposed to uh, reading the rhythms, because, I mean, we can get anybody to read rhythms. Just it just takes a little bit. But but so I, I based this piece off of what notes they knew. And um, so I was like, well, six weeks playing. We've got to G concert. All right. So I, I, we can do this one. We could we could play this and start on the two and go to the, the six. Man, we've got this. The clarinets don't go over the break, man. This is going to be wonderful. And so we just started, you know, not really uh, just really teaching those, trying to get those notes back into the kids. But that's why I picked it for my group was just because, you know, there's the notes that they knew. And then later, later on the piece, I had some elements of where um, there wasn't a consistent tempo the entire time. It slowed down a little bit. And then at the end, I think there's like a goblin sound in the. Uh, in the, in the clarinets and um you know and which i think that <laughs> an intentional I, I, goblin sound yeah yeah the intentional <laughs> goblin sound yeah yeah and i think what, what peter was saying was that you know you got to find those elements that that will get the kids bought in because i mean it doesn't matter how much a kid knows on an instrument you could give them that 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 part or that one section to be uh very to feel build confidence and it might take them up to the next level. So, I mean, no matter how well a kid can play with their clarinet on, a kid can take a mouthpiece, put the barrel on and make some kind of goblin sound. And so when you give those kids successes, a success at any point in the, in the, in the mix, man, they're just going to keep on wanting to learn more. And so that's kind of like the, the whole thought process with me with this one. So. Great. Well, this is a spooky mansion by uh, Tim Lost. Oh, <laughs> 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 And that won't be the last time that we hear um, an, an, an element of the uh, Takara and Fugue. Um, so <laughs> we'll be coming to that again in a little while. Um, Very Gail, fun. you've picked music by, by Tim as well. He he Over the does years, a lot yeah. of really fun stuff for kids. Uh, I think we mm -hmm. had the elf piece at Christmas time. Oh, yeah, well. that's right. He yeah. really thinks about the kids in the classroom. Like he's a dad himself, I think. And oh, yeah. um, he, he clearly sort of has, has an idea of what the kids will enjoy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good piece, Nick. I like that one. 
Yeah, the kids have had a good time trying to learn it. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously that wasn't that that was my group performing that. I think I think you got to sent that recording <laughs> to you, right? No. <laughs> no, but the kids have had a really good time trying to learn it. And, you know, and like I said, it's just it's, if we can if I can inspire one to get one thing right and mm -hmm. and realistically make lifelong learners from fifth graders for music, we're going to have job security and uh, keep right. on promoting the arts. And so. You know, but they're really, really getting into it. And um, I'm trying to get them not to I really, what I really wanted them to do Friday going back to class was to take their uh, clarinet mouthpiece and go down the hall because they got to dress up as uh, their, their favorite there Halloween characters and go play it down the hall. But they didn't have enough guts to for whatever oh, reason. Oh, that but would it's be okay. great. I know. I thought so. <laughs> that would have been the best. <laughs> Uh, that's really Gail, cool. Um, you 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 have um, you you have a lot of experience at this level as well, and yeah. um, and you've picked some great great uh, selections over the last number of episodes at, at this you. level. Um, tell me a little bit about your choice today. Well, this one is called Rats, Bats, and Spiders, and it's by Mike Hanickel. And it's not a brand new one. I mean, I, but I have, and I've used it with my adult band, which I have a really, really fine adult band. I've used it with that because sometimes when you're doing community bands, you you go down into, you're looking for themed things for certain concerts. And sometimes I have to go into that level uh, to do it, but it's really fun. I mean, any band can play at any level and, and do it well, you know, and this one really uh, as a, as a teacher, I used this one also for the chromatics because there's chromatics in it, chromatic scales. So it went, it might be for more like a sixth grade band if you start in fifth grade, which is what my system did. Um, also, it features the low woodwinds and the low brass, which, like you were just saying, Nick, there's got to be times when those sections yeah. get featured. And Peter, you were mentioning that as well. And it kind of puts them in that limelight. It also does something partway through it. And I don't know where you picked uh, to play, Keith, but it goes into a capriccio and has almost a dance-like feel to it, which, you know, as an educator, you can talk to that form of art as well if, if you choose to you know uh, one of the things I loved to do when I taught at this level was cross-curricular and I think Peter mentioned this briefly uh, like getting the kids to in your case Nick your piece the kids could you know draw pictures uh, the art the art of that in their art class if you have the ability to do that with your other teachers also poems are really really cool this time of year um, and that's really fun to draw off of both the rats bats and spiders but any of the pieces any of us have <clears throat> chosen for this that's one thing I've always enjoyed doing and I sometimes think would be fun to do with adult groups too I think sometimes we forget how much fun we like being kids again you know we use old as we get we still have that kid inside us you know but this piece I really like for the reasons I just said the chromatics the low instruments uh, being featured and it's just a fun little thing that you'll hear the spiders calling around and the bats flitting flitting around and things like that so go ahead and play it if you want Keith well I'm gonna have to come back to that one because I <gasps> uh -oh. can't find the file for it um, uh -oh. but we will we will come back to it or if you're listening to the podcast version of this okay you will be able to hear it straight away Thank you. 
There's lots um, of fun percussion on it as well, which is something that's always important at that early stage. As both of you have mentioned that are talking about pieces, you know, you've got the kids back there and it's really fun. And sometimes I've even had the situations where I've let like all my whatever instruments play some of the percussion things as well, like you're doing with your mouthpieces and stuff, you know. So yeah. I think that's important too. Gail, I almost mentioned that exact same thing because I think that sometimes with the young band, if, if some great programs are very specific about how many percussionists they allow to begin in each grade, yeah, yeah. which is of course great. Um, but, and so sometimes some of these tunes might seem a little intimidating from the standpoint of like, yeah. well, how will we cover all those parts? Or we're not right. going to be ready to, you know, the kids yeah. can't run it's around true. or have the, right. you know, the kind of mindset to be able to jump from instrument to instrument. Right. That's it. Who, you know, yeah. Perfect opportunities to pull in somebody else to do that. Absolutely. And we do that all the time in the adult band world. You have to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you're a professional ensemble of sorts. But it's always fun because you've always got somebody that's itching to play something, you know, and uh, the maracas or whatever the, you know, the case yeah. may be. That's it okay, Keith. Takes the pressure off of having to find, you know, every piece yeah. have 400 percussion parts <laughs> on it, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah. But it's a cute little piece. So hopefully you'll get a chance to listen to it. Well, Gail, let's start with you and your at the intermediate level. All right. So, um, okay. Tell me a little bit about your intermediate choice. Uh, my intermediate one is by James Seiler, and it's a Tarantella, like an 6-8, which, you know, when you get into that middle school grade, you should start looking at doing that. Or even, you know, the, the bands that are your your younger bands in the high school, if you're doing uh, concert bands, like during marching season, some people have that for students. This time of year, if they're in marching season, they don't get to do this type of Halloween kind of thing. thing and it's a great thing for that as well. It's in 6-8, as I said, it's called Hocus Pocus. And it is a fun little piece. It, uh, it initially uh, appears with the flute and the percussion and then the trombone section, you'll hear it. And then it kind of goes on building up into, you know, to a very spooky sound as it goes on. So it's just a cute piece. I really like the fact that it has that Tarantella. It's very minor. It's like a little march, mm. like a, a, a hocus pocus march almost. So, yeah. Well, this is hocus pocus. Play? We, Good. we have this one. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It just sounds, it sounds like the, um, it's written in such a way that the kids can actually get the most out of those interesting sounds that their instruments mm -hmm. can make as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it, it's, it sounds, it sounds like a lot of fun. I haven't come across James Slyer. Uh, do you, has he written much at this level? Um, I think so. I, I have done a, two or three things by him. I see I've got a little bit of stuff about him here real quick. He is from Hyde Park, New York, and, but then moved to Florida um, and he's done a lot of writing for this level, I believe. Um, and he has a lot of, it says he likes to write things that have energy and drama in them. So this fits this perfectly, you know, this type that he's done. Uh, I get the impression that he also was an educator that kind of started doing some of this because of the need of it, uh, you know survival is what I always say <laughs> when you have to do something in the, on the spur of the moment because you don't have it for yourself. So you, you find a way to, to make it happen for your students because you need it. Um, so uh, I have done, I, I, this is, I think, the third piece that I've done of his over the mm -hmm. years. Yeah. 
it's fun and, and you as normal gail um you uh always give me more than i need <laughs> and you give me an here's my list of 31 31 pieces this part yes uh, again this month um and i have like, it lined up ready like to go. go into the candy store here man i mean you ask me for one that's impossible <laughs> But there's always a little apology note with it too, which is lovely. Um, but I did, I did line it up, and I have it ready to play. So, do you want to tell me about the uh, the Jay Bocock piece? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, which one is that? Let me find my my stuff here. Jay, yes. Oh, things that go bump in the night. Hmm. And the, some of you might have done this. This is an older one that he that I have had in my files for a great long time, and it's a, also a three four piece, um, or what you would call a medium level piece. Um, and it has things like tail. It actually has little clips of different things, like tales from the crypt, from Psycho, from Jaws. Those kinds of little minute, a second. You, if you hear it, you go, "Oh, that's from what? Oh, I don't know what is that from. I, I know, I know it kind of thing from movies." So that's what this is. And I, I have found that uh, my students have loved it because it's scary. There's places in it that are kind of scary, and they can relate it to something else, as mm. the adults do in the audience too. They like, oh. Oh, tales from the crypt—that's creepy, you know that kind of stuff. So you'll hear you'll hear those types of uh, pieces in this. So, well, I've lined this up at the very beginning of it because it opens okay. up with that cicada yeah. and fugue. It does, uh, yeah. and because if you ask a kid to, you know, you know, name play. some scary classical music, yeah. it's going to be this, and that's why I wanted to make sure that we we played it tonight. Yeah. So this yeah, is yeah. a thing that go bump in the night. So that is things that go bump in the night. And it is, it's it's great to kind of go back to some of those TV and movie arrangements mm -hmm. for the kids at this time yeah. of year, um, like it is with Christmas as well. And something that kind of brings up something uh, visual for them. Um, uh, Nick, I'm coming to you for the for the next intermediate choice. Um, I, I didn't know this piece. Um, I, of course, I know the composer. I, I didn't know the piece, though. Um, and I've been obsessed with it since he sent it over to me. Um, <laughs> uh, absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. It's it, it's uh, it's an interesting choice for for the for the topic um it, it, you know the, the the title of it really fits uh, and then the sound of it is that sort of more interesting introspective sort of um, uh, sound for, for for the theme tell me about your choice at this level well again you know i, I again i told you I'll pick, like i want first guess is uh is the audience is who i want to uh who i program for and so to pull them in and then um you we mentioned earlier about scary pieces about, you know, even looking at an incredibly hard piece of music, that might be scary to somebody. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I played this piece about four or five years ago uh, with my group down in Panama City. And the reason I programmed it for an assessment was because I wanted to start getting into that, uh, I guess, that, that, that 
the, the contemporary stuff that doesn't, doesn't feel like it has a time signature. And so I, I thought that this piece was a good bridge to play more Mackie pieces and, mm. and playing more uh, just of that, just, just that new sound from that comes from concert bands now. And so um, it's this cruel moon by John Mackey. And um, I just fell in love with it too. That opening clarinet statement is just so intense. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It's just, it's so powerful for a kid just to, um, just to, to nail and um, you know, and just the tension and releases that happen all throughout the piece of music. And, you know, what I, I think if I remember correctly, I don't have the score for me. Um, there's only like two horn parts, I think, to it. And and there's something about when you have four or five horn players and they're only being two horn home horn parts, the horns just soar. And that that type of alto voice is so I just love the counter melodic lines that it produces that uh for the rest of the piece of music but again you know it's really nothing spooky about it except for the name um and um and uh i just i just wanted to program a concert that was based on my audience so names and educate them and give kids a chance to just venture into the new scary type of music that they just might not be aware of so. yeah it it may not be spooky, but I definitely think there's a haunting uh, yes. vibe to, the, yes. to, to this piece. It's absolutely beautiful. This is a uh, this cruel moon, uh, moon uh, John Mackey. It was so difficult to pick uh, an extract from that. Um, <laughs> Mackie's yeah. music at its best just sort of, you know, just washes over you and just it just fills every part of your being at its at its at its best. And uh, I just I, I really really love that um, that piece. So, so thank you for for your recommendation, yeah. um, Peter. We're going to come to you uh, next uh, 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 for your intermediate selection, uh, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. Um, the idea of waltzes for spooky music, because there's something inherently scary and spooky about waltzes. What is it that's that's so, that's so funny freaky about a waltz? Because you have two of them in your selection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like this, you know, hypnotic sort of, you know, transcent, trans, you know, like music or something. I, I imagine like a crazy clown or something you know and and that's what this piece actually right. kind of hints at when it when it comes down to it you know as uh i chose the haunted carousel by erica svano mm -hmm. and um it, first of all yeah three four time it's got to have some chromatic passage if we want to break down the spooky tunes right it's got to have a chromatic passage it's got to have a trombone glissando at some point like there's <laughs> something you know there's definitely some check checklist of of items that that 
seem to be in the bag of trip, tricks for the composers and understandably so, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's what we've all started to associate with something that's spooky, but, but the waltz definitely fits that bill. And this one, because it's um, again, kind of that theme park uh, vibe, if you will, the, you know, theme park gone wrong kind of vibe mm -hmm. in the haunted carousel. Uh, it really plays well with 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 the, with the waltz for sure. Uh, I also this one actually I was most excited to choose this one as soon as you said spooky. I knew this was this was on my list right. because when 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 this one came out, I it's it's been out a while because I did it with a band probably. Nah, well, I don't think it was ten years ago. So so it, actually, it definitely wasn't because it won the NBA uh, award uh, composition contest award. I think in oh. like twenty. Don't quote me, 2014, 15 or 16, something like that. Mm -hmm. So probably like five years ago or something like that. And um, what's cool about it is, is it's it's very creative, of course, in its form and its melodic stuff. But it also, like we talk about the hook, you know, kind of getting the kids to buy in. It uses the theremin sound. Ooh, mm -hmm. cool. And, and for me, being a kind of a geeky kid who liked the Twilight Zone, you know, I, if I hear the theremin sound, mm -hmm. like I'm in, I'm in, I'm buying that. <laughs> in a second. Yeah. And which, you know, the opportunity to then talk to kids about what a theremin even is, is kind of a nice opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and then you don't actually have to use a real theremin uh, with technology these days. In fact, it's recommended in the program notes for this one that it you would use an iPad and hook it up through a speaker, just like you would imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's actually an optional part too. So again, if that's something that band director sees and goes, oh, forget it, this is a stay away from me. I'm not getting into the technology and <laughs> I don't want to deal with plugging something in in the concert. You don't yeah. have to use it. All the parts are covered, uh, all the theremin melodies that you'll hear, um, depending on which, I don't know which part you chose, Keith, but the, any of the theremin parts would be covered with, you know, regular instrumentation too. So you're not going to miss okay. the melodic part. So that's kind of mm -hmm. cool. Um, what the thing that I really love about this one for the inter intermediate level is because there's rare, we, we start to talk about, you know, melodic lines, right? We were in the beginning stuff, we're talking about, you know, using the scale and Nick was talking about, you know, using uh solfege to teach, you know, notes up and down the scale. And then, Intermediate, I'm always looking for some opportunities for leaps and skips mm -hmm. in melodic lines, yeah. especially unique ones. And two, I mean, there's plenty of perfect fourths and fifths to be found anywhere. But when you can throw a minor sixth or a major seventh into the melodic line and have it sound cool, that that's yeah. how I'm buying that piece because mm. that's such a skill. I mean, that all the technique books we're going over with kids at this grade level are, are working up to these unique intervals and making sure they right. hear that. And and when you're tying in the music theory stuff, which which many of us do in band class, mm -hmm. then there's an opportunity to talk about songs that maybe you might recognize a minor six from this one, yeah. major seven mm. from this yeah. one. And that list of tunes for major sevenths is not a long list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, how many times can I recommend, uh, you know, the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin and, and yeah. you know, which is technically an octave and then the seventh, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like this is not, so if we, if you have this tune and that's in their library of, you know, sonic uh, understanding, then you can pull on this. Remember the haunted carousel, that melodic line with the major seven. Oh, that's a major seven. So, so I, I love this one because it has those, those intervals in, in there and you, and, and they're not just there because she, she was trying to, use interesting intervals the the melodic lines were so creative and that that's that's how they came out so so that's cool there's also um 
there's there's the other element, you know, there's the theremin, but there's also some whispering and kind of the spooky uh, vo vocal parts, uh, some singing. But I know that's another thing that scares some band directors away. You know, they don't want to deal with the singing because kids get silly or, you know, you know, at a certain level of kid. But I always you know, just go for it. And it's all how you sell it. And in this case, it's an easy buy in because it's mm. it's not like uh, you'll hear it probably. <laughs> it's 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 fun. I think they, I think it's definitely a fun thing to add to it, and uh, again, it has the trombone gliss, so it has to count. But, you know. Perfect. <laughs> well, well, this one Faye's award this month. Faye comes in and, and helps uh -huh. me put together all of the tracks for this. Every this is my eight year old daughter, so she comes in, in and helps me every month to to kind of line up the tracks and. Have <laughs> And this is the one that won her award Excellent. This, this, this month. Uh, okay, so this is the Haunted Carousel. And yes, I did pick the Terramon uh, as the extract here. Perfect. So that is the haunted carousel. It's a, it's very fun. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great piece. I love that sound. It is such a, a spooky sound. The theremin is um, such a unique instrument as well. I'd love to see that be played with, with an actual theremin too. Yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, you I'm can sure that there's many people with that skill with that skill sets. Yeah, I, I wonder. They probably all, you know, put it away in 1961 <laughs> and and haven't revisited. Just have to dust it off out of the closet or something. Well, I will tell you this. Um, I remember uh, I went to school at Troy University, and I know Tyler and um, I remember Mark Walk, Doctor Mark Walker, excuse me, uh, <laughs> Doctor Mark Walker. He bought a theremin for a piece that they played, and I think Tyler actually played it in one of their um, concerts. Oh, so, I gotta yeah. ask. Okay, you gotta ask him about it. Uh, I can't remember if it was him or or some other guy, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, but. Say Lisa, we'll say we'll say it's Tyler for the uh, purpose of the story. So yeah, yeah. there's a, there a little bit of a you know revitalization of it in the in like the mid two thousands because mm -hmm. some jazz musicians, right? One here in New York City, Scott Robinson was throwing it into these various you know small group and big band charts, and it was just so cool. And I, I you know I I'd sign up for a theremin con. That's a, if you want my money, just put a theremin on. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a few marching shows using it this year, actually. Uh, which oh, has really? Been, which has been interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. cool. That's more, cool. Yeah. more electronics coming into the marching band shows. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. 
we tear him in for the win. Um, so we are moving along to our advanced section um, now. And before I come to um, my three guests today, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about a piece that was actually submitted. Uh, this is Ooh. a piece that was only uh, premiered uh, very, very recently. Uh, Andrew David Perkins um, has written a new piece, uh, which was um, uh, premiered uh, very recently. Uh, it's called Horror Vacui. And Horror Vacui refers to a particular type of uh, artistic endeavor that likes to fill space. So if you want to think of the, 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 um, the best example of this is Where's Wally? Everyone knows Where's Wally. There's just lots of things. There's no bit of free space in a Where's Wally um, comic at all. But there's a lot of, if you think of some of the, the artwork around Dante's Inferno and a lot of the old style biblical works, there's just no free space whatsoever. There's so much detail in some of that mm -hmm. artwork. And that's what Horror Vacui refers to. And this new piece, Horror <laughs> Vacui, um, was... Um, was premiered only last week. Um, wow. This is the recording of it. Um, and the um, the idea behind this is that there is um, there's no free space on the score. Actually, when you ha have a look at the score, it's it's really full and lots of things happening and lots of detail uh, throughout mm -hmm. it. So um, this is uh, Horror Vacui uh, by... Andrew David Perkins, and I thought it'd be great to start our advanced section uh, with this. So that is Horror Vacui, and uh, the score, the perusal score is available at uh, Andrew, Perkin, uh, Andrew David Perkins .com. Uh It's well worth going over and having a look at it because there is a visual aspect to this, I think, as well. It was very interesting to look at the score and kind of see its parallels with some of the artwork that follows that same artistic uh value as well so thank you to uh, andrew for reaching out to me and, and let me know about that piece and so that we could talk about it tonight um uh, gail let's mm -hmm. start with you um, okay for our advanced selection. okay i do have a question before i i do mine uh was this piece that we just heard um was it commissioned and who was it that just performed it 
I know there was a consortium. Um, ah. I will get the recording uh, for oh, you. Oh, just curious. Now to, yeah. to let you know. Um, but I know it was a consortium, and that still is uh, waiting on all uh, all of the, the performances before it is available. For of course, origins. of course. But I just wondered who performed it. I mean, was it a university? Uh, I think it was an Arkansas, uh, the Arkansas University Wind Ensemble, I think. Oh, very um, cool. I, I will double check that before. Yeah, yeah, before just we curious. the podcast, though. Yeah, it's a cool piece. Yeah, very cool. Well, I draw back to uh, one that I can honestly say is an older piece. I think it was actually written in the mid 70s, if not the late 70s in that area. And it was a piece that I saw performed and then uh, kind of remembered. And I've performed it twice myself with my uh, adult ensemble. And it's called Cave of the Winds. Sometimes it's just called Cave, but it is titled Cave of the Winds by Russell Peck. And it's about cave dwellers and what the fact that Back then, they couldn't see anything, so it starts out in the dark, and you just hear a heartbeat thumping. There is a poem that goes with it as well that I gave you. I don't know if that's something that you uh, would put up, but it's uh, and it's, it's a fairly long, but it's pretty cool to do like with a high school band. I've seen a mm. lot of high schools do it because um, the kids love to do it. It's got more theatrics. You can use it on stage. You're not sitting down at all like in a, in a band format at all. It starts off with people on stage with sunglasses on, but they're atrophied eyes, you know, and uh, the kids love this. And there's plants around and it's very cave-like through all of it. The sound is definitely the heartbeat goes the whole time, which is a bass drum. Um, it's not easy because the kids have to memorize their music. Not that kids can't. I'm not saying that, but it's not like you can just read the piece and be done with it uh, because of the way it's done. The idea is it's the music is all by feel in regards to uh, the fact that in the cave they can't read music because it's all dark and no one's watching and they, no inhibitions and everyone moves to the music and the whole ensemble is part of it all. And it's, uh, it's in a, a Sethian node, which is three miles below the Earth's crust is what it's all talking about. Underneath a cornfield in Illinois, which made me laugh when I saw, <laughs> heard the poem of that one. Uh, the rock walls ring to one of the unchanging pulses upon which the cave dwellers build their spontaneous symphonies. And it just, it's really very, very cool. Uh, it's one of those pieces, not terribly long, but the students that I have done it with and the adults, I've done it with my adult band too. They love this piece. Uh, you can have, you know, the, the, um, the, the uh, dry ice going and the kids love that. And, you know, I think anybody that's a musician has a little bit of a theater bug in, uh, in them and they like to do these kinds of things and they get to be a little freer with it. You can give them ideas of what they should do and shouldn't do, but uh, it, it, it's a very cool piece. Uh, I did send you a video of it too, of when a university was performing it, I think that I found. And, but, and that's exactly what I have here. So cool, cool, you might cool, be able cool. to advise me on where we should start that video. But before we do that, um, I, it really strikes me that a piece like this is bringing that uh, theatrical marching show band, drum corps um, style um, of show onto stage and i know that's something that uh some of my some of my friends at dci have been talking about for a long time is bringing sound sport onto a stage and uh -huh. and, and yeah. using it and creating movement yeah. and spectacle to go with, right. with, with with the music um so i i found this i found this very interesting uh mm -hmm. and so i think we're going to actually we will play the play play the video um right. have you got a suggestion for where we should start um from? well just know that at the very beginning it starts with a black stage and all you hear then very softly to start is the, you know, the heartbeat of the bass drum, the thump, thump, thump. Well, let's, and, let's start it from the very beginning. You know, it, it ends that way also.
Now, as we let the uh, video keep, continue to play for that, and we'll we'll bring it towards the end. Just, I have a question for Nick as we're letting the video play there. Nick, you worked a lot with marching band um, in, in your schools. Have you ever brought any of that onto the stage? Is it something that you would ever consider doing? Oh, well, actually, you know, kind of, sort of, we, we kind of d- did something like that in Panama City. And, mm. um, you know, we, uh, we, I hadn't, we went from a four-period day back to the seven-period day. And um, I needed to come up with classes to teach. Um, and uh, would they, we had a course we could do the traditional jazz band, but jazz and um, the kids were not, they weren't really into uh, all the jazz all the time. So what, what, I, what I decided to do was to do something kind of like blast and uh, like blast it on stage, kind of like this. And we turned it, we called it Bay Blast. And um, the, uh, the whole thing of, the whole mission of the group was just number one to perform in the community, uh, play music that was just that the community loved to hear. And we would go play gigs, do this stuff and, and play and, and just, you know, it became a money-making machine for the band program. Actually, people would want us to come play. They'd make a donation. And, um, but we play, uh, just, you know, pop tunes and, and everything, but we never got into the realm of, of, of like concert band literature and creating movement to that. But it was, it was similar to this, but it, it was a lot of fun. And the kids kind of bought into it, too, because they they felt that they weren't in the traditional band program. And, and they kind of we called them the house band. And uh, whenever they needed uh, it needed anything, we played morning shows and, and stuff like that. And it was just it was a good time, a good time to teach improvise, improvise. I can't speak tonight uh, and to <laughs> learn how to improvise. Gosh, you know, just forgive me. I'm from South Georgia right now, I guess. Right? <laughs> so big words and i don't drink coke that's why yeah i know good grief (laughs) man what what is this no but you know it was just a good chance to just teach kids about the other side of of music education that i think that we don't even think about as educators sometimes you know and Mm -hmm. you don't see too many professional tuba players outside of uh, the symphonies and and um all that so i mean why not teach a tuba player how to play bass and now you've gave got gave them an opportunity to make money on what you're teaching mm-hmm. them anyway almost like a trade in a way mm-hmm. you know and with education the way it's going in schools we're looking for trades as much as possible and you know sometimes that might be the way that we save a music program and mm-hmm. we got to find new ways just to stay viable and re- relevant and i don't mean to get off topic or anything like oh, that on a soapbox but um Perfect. but it's just it's just you know it's just we just got to learn how to evolve and and and, and say, for someone to say that this is not evolving because this has another element again to grab the audience in a way that you know that is it is untraditional but i mean why not give it a shot you know give us it gives all those kids an opportunity to to be expressive in a way too not only through music but through movement I think there's, you know, I think that there's something very um, tangible about bringing movement into performance like Mm -hmm. that as well. You know, there's many cultures around the world where music isn't understood unless there is movement of the body involved with it too Mm -hmm. Uh, it it, is it's 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 actually integral to the understanding of of music in many parts of the world so um i I love the idea of 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 doing this um and uh and and maybe bringing some of those because you know as an outsider to the u.s looking at the standard Mm -hmm. of marching band and the the artistry that is that has been developed over there in over decades Let's bring some of that onto the stage too. Let's let's 
take a, yeah. a closer look at it and, 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 and inspect it as the art form that it, that it really is. Um, uh, um, Gail, I, I understand that this isn't actually a pretty new piece either. I mean, this no, is a few the decades old. Actually. Like yeah. probably 1975 is when I believe it was first started. It also said, and you're talking about cultures, uh, within the program notes that I was reading, uh, the Yale Wind Ensemble performed it um, with their uh, with their the sunglasses on, you know, like it says to do in Japan. And the audience read the poem and they thought that it was about the post-nuclear uh, war conditions, which there's that side of it too. You know, what is it wow. that, yeah. I mean, think about the depth of emotion wow. that that would create. It, it could be pandemic. I mean, it, there's so many things you could do with a piece like this. Uh, I've used it like on a Halloween concert to, to start and end a program, you know, but it's it's just got so much that you could do with it, with the theatrics for sure. And again, uh, students, adults, everyone loves to do something just a little uh, different. And so I guess, Keith, in your mind, I can see why you're thinking marching band because there's so much theater nowadays in marching band. It used to be just go in and perform to, you know, entertain the crowd, but uh, it has become such an art form that you could do some of these things for absolutely for sure. Well, yeah. let's, let's see the very tail end of this um, and, and see how, see how it ends. And for any of the podcast listeners, um, you'll be able to catch this on YouTube and be able to watch and, and see exactly what's happening there. And we had it silenced while some uh, very bright and colorful lights were happening on stage as well. And mm -hmm. uh, there's some some cool uh, some cool jazz uh, uh, rhythms and and. and uh, right. Uh, and and it's 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 very upbeat actually in the in in the, in the middle of the piece. Uh, so very worth worthwhile checking out. And um, uh, there'll be links to that in the show notes. Sure. Um, Nick, let's come to you for for your advanced piece. Uh, you had a three movement piece. I have selected the first movement of mm -hmm. that. It seemed like the most uh, Halloween yeah. of the of of the tree. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, your selection. Well, I selected uh, Stephen Molo's uh, Escape from Plato's Cave, and um, 
you know, this piece, I remember being in high school and uh, was made, I made an honor band and Dr. Uh, James Croft was conducting the honor band and uh, he picked this piece. And I, I was sitting back in the tuba section as a sophomore, junior. I don't re remember when, what time period it was, but I remember that there was one element in this piece that required the percussion section to all have bows and bow the uh, vibraphone and make that eerie, eerie, just, just noise. And um, then, and then fast forward 10 years later at Troy, we uh, recorded a CD for Steven and um, he came in and we talked about this piece and, and it was just, he's just an interesting and just a wonderful individual. And, um, you know, he, he started mentioning about how he developed this piece and, and everything. And I don't remember all the details, so I can't say everything because I don't want to get them wrong. And then he, he come down on me a little bit, but, but, <laughs> you know, he just, I just found that this piece just was, it's a story. It's a story and about from escaping from darkness into the light. And um, the whole CD that this is on is about escaping from darkness into the light. And, and with going with the horror type feel, uh, feel, you know, every horror movie is an escape from something evil. And, and, and you're, the goal is to get away from evil and get to the light. And, it, and truthfully, isn't that about life too? Just going to the light as much as possible. And, and so that's why I kind of picked this piece, not only for the title, but just for that memory that it jogged up with that eerie feeling of the, um, the vibe and the, the bow and the just, just, just total, just, just tension. And um, it's just a beautiful piece, but the last, like you said, the last two movements are, are more hopeful and more delightful and um, just a, gives you a sense of hope. But the first piece, yeah, is very, very scary sounding. If you, if you don't know what to listen for. So this is escape from Plato's cave. And that, as you mentioned, uh, Nick, that that whole album, um, uh, Stormworks, uh, that, I think that's from chapter chapter two. Yeah, uh, chapter it's, two. Um, yeah, it's um, it's 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 there's some great music on it. Uh, yeah. some great theme music on it. Uh, so very worthwhile checking out. And again, in the show notes. Um, so we are coming to our last selection of the of the evening. And Peter, we'll we'll uh, we'll end with with your selection. We will have a chance to go around and do uh, honorable mentions because I know everyone has extra pieces that they have thought about uh, for this. Um, uh, but Peter, let's hear about your very uh, your last selection here. Yeah, so I chose for my last one Shadow Waltzes by Brian Balmages. And um, this one checked, uh, you know, I always think in terms of that, for me, that honors bands lens, because I don't stand up in front of a group 
a grade five band on, on a daily basis. So, you know, if I'm going to go in and do something like that, the, the choices are so important because the students have worked so hard to get there and you want to find something that's, you know, uh, find a palette of selections that are going to, you know, kind of get everybody involved and, and also hopefully uh, tick all the different boxes when it comes to the emotional and the lyrical and the, you know, everything that you want to check. And so this one is kind of a, is a terrific choice for me for a few reasons. It's, first of all, it's got a really kind of conniving sort of thematic approach, you know, kind of menacing and deceitful and, and you know, fit into the spookiness. And, and I think that that's sometimes a, a fun color to add to a program because it's not, it's maybe not the, the first, uh, you know, the most common, I guess, in mm -hmm. terms of the thematic material. Um, the percussion's obviously very busy in, in, a, in a Brian Bowmage's selection like this. And then also it's, and, and I think that it differs when you go and do these honors bands where, what the instrumentation might be in a given honors band. But I know in, in, in New Jersey bands, it's come up before because what we do is uh, when we audition for the for the group, we audition for each individual color clarinet part. Now that that's kind of a tricky thing because I know other other uh, districts or in other states they might choose to have a bass clarinetist play the contra clarinet or have a you know one of the B flat clarinets cover some of the color clarinets, which makes perfect sense. Um, but it's always been done here that if you want to play an alto clarinet, you you have to audition on the alto clarinet as a separate instrument. Mm -hmm. Same for the contra clarinets and so on. As music has evolved, you know, in the last number of years, there's it's hard to find selections that that really use you use that instrumentation. So, you know, oftentimes you have to find that chestnut of a piece, you know, that old war horse that's got all the cornet, trumpet, and you know, color clarinet parts all laid out so that everybody's got something to do. And this selection has got contra clarinet in it. Right, and it's not doesn't just have contra clarinet in it. It's got really cool contra clarinet in it. So like, for me, I was like, oh, this is great because that this is this is something that that those students are going to get a chance to play. And it's not just the contra clarinets. The melodic material is really throughout the band. Everybody's got a chance to play something, which is which is neat. And it's not just play something, but to play something featured. There's a lot of you know, his his music is so thoughtful when it comes to color. And choosing the different, you know, uh, instruments to put together at a given time. I mean, he's just so good at that. That's that's very inspiring to listen to his music because I think that from grade one, he's you know he's not afraid to to find those colors rather than just have okay the woodwinds play this melody and the brass play this one and and what or this is an ensemble section. So this one, I think you'll you'll hear lots of different colors. And that contra clarinet is the most obvious one because it starts out right at the beginning with the bass clarinet. Um, if again, I don't know which which. Uh, extract you took but at the beginning if anybody goes and listens to it from the beginning who hasn't heard it because i think it's been this has been around for a while um you'll hear that contra clarinet really prevalent at the beginning there's a lot of clarinet chalamot lines that that add to the spookiness you know and we're talking about the different elements that make a piece spooky of course it's got the three four time it's gotta it's gotta have that that as well <laughs> but um it's just a it's a great piece and and it's got the it's got the the sort of softer palette and it's got the heavy stuff at the end that everybody just wants to play a kind of a rip roaring finish, which, which, which is a great way. Probably you could close the program with the, with, with this one and it would be a hit, you know? So, so I chose, uh, yeah, the shadow waltzes. Well, if uh, you're looking to hear any of the rest of the music, uh, any anything beyond the extracts that you've heard tonight, uh, there is a repertoire happy hour playlist on Spotify 
and on Apple Music as well, where you can go and listen to all the music that has been selected since last Christmas on these episodes. There's a ton of great music in there, and it's been selected by some fantastic conductors and composers over uh, over the past year, uh, based on various themes from Christmas to Halloween, from nature to um, to St. Patrick's Day even. Uh, so that's a great playlist to subscribe to, and we add to it every month as we have new recommendations based on our theme. So, um, Shadow Waltzes by Brian Balmages. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Yeah, that was a good yeah, yeah, yeah. section. That was a good section to choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah uh, it's. Really? Um, I can see it as being a great encore as well. Actually, uh, yeah, on, yeah, on a program. Um, you know, I'm. I've just like my marches. I've never been a big waltz fan, but there's something about a spooky <laughs> waltz. I absolutely, they have love. to be spooky. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. have to be spooky. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh man. I know. I, feel I, play, like... I played in too many wedding bands. I think I turned <laughs> off waltzes, and then I was in a military. I was a military musician, and that turned me off marches. So marches and waltzes, usually sad. speaking, so not really my not really my cup of tea. But we are going to do a march special very soon, and Brian Olian is available to come on and talk to us yeah, about some of his awesome. work and some of his passion with marches. And he's going to try and convince me that marches are actually something that I, mind you, I could you probably play every Kenneth Alford and Susan March off by heart still. So. Um, <laughs> It's not that I haven't played them. Uh, um, well, this has been absolutely fantastic. And it before has. we go, I want to give everyone an opportunity to tell me about some of their also runs, uh, some of their the honorable mentions, uh, and also how we can uh, find out more about you and your work. Uh, Gail, let's yeah. start with you and the ACB. There's plenty yeah. happening with the ACB right oh, now. Oh, my goodness. Um, ACB, this is when we posted the convention. <laughs> Uh, it has its own coolers. Yeah, uh, the Association of Concert Bands, I'm the president of the organization. Uh, it is an international voice of community bands, uh, primarily set in the United States, but we are definitely reaching out into the, the world to work with community bands. And it is a, a, such a great organization. Some of my platform has been diversity as well as international. So we are doing a lot more with that uh, concept, those two concepts in mind, and bringing in younger people. We are now, uh, not only do we have a Facebook page, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, uh, we have podcasts that we are doing, and it's going to uh, explode right around Midwest is when we're going to be doing things with our podcast. So uh, there's a lot of really new things uh, that, that we are trying to uh, bring more youth into the organization. Because if you're in community bands, you see there's young people in these bands. They want to play, especially now since the pandemic happened. And so it's just a matter of uh, finding a way to get what we do to them. So, and them then to us, which is great. It's, it's great fun and it's a wonderful organization. You can find out more about that. It's very simple. It's ACB. 
bands.org. And that's a good way to find out what's going on with that organization. Um, I had some things that I, honorable mentions, that I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about all the classical things that were spooky, like March to the Scaffold, uh, Mysterious Mountain, you know, the Hovannis, the uh, Flyter Mouse, you know, Firebird Suite, uh, these that a lot of us just chose not to do because they're pieces that are in our classics, you know, like incantation and dance, those kinds of things. But I wanted to make sure that people didn't think that we forgot about those wonderful transcriptions that uh, if we hadn't had transcriptions, the band world wouldn't be the band world today. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just wouldn't. Uh, we'd all still just be marching around from, you know, Quonset hut to Quonset hut in marches, so <laughs> which is what marches were intended for, right? So there is one piece that I want to say though that I love, and I think that some people would enjoy if you don't know it. It's a Stephen Reinecke piece called "The Witch and the Saint." Uh, not really Halloween-like, but it certainly fits the bill. I've used it uh, about two sisters that were born, and one ended up being thought of as the witch in their community, and one to be the saint in their community. And it's oh, a beautifully written work. It, again. Uh, Peter, very much like a one I would use in an honors band because kids could just, especially high school kids, would like really grip into this kind of uh, literature. So that's uh, what, I, what I wanted to share. But I really enjoyed this. It's been so much fun to do. And as I said, I had my, my top 31 here of Halloween songs. So if you ever looking for one, let me know. <laughs> I will say, though, gentlemen, Nick and Peter and uh, Keith, I I, every one that you did, I didn't know, so I'm thrilled to now have some new ones to add to my 31. So, all right, yeah, all right. awesome. Uh, Gail does the homework every <laughs> month. Gail does the homework, does the research. Um, Nick, have you got uh, any any uh, uh, additional pieces that you'd like to share before we go? Well, you know, just the traditional ones. I, you know, Takata and Fugue. You know, of course. But, you know, I mean, there's there, like I said, there's so many so much great music out there. And, you know, and, and, and you can almost take anything and spin it any way to get anything you want out of it, too. And yeah, so, I, I mean, so it's all, all about creativity and just being unique and uh, and and just being yourself. And uh, that's that's what I loved about. That's what I love about what you do, Keith, is that, is that it's so creative and. And just being able to be a part of this has just been a blessing. And uh, just thank you so much for having me. And, um, man, I hope that we can do it again and uh, hopefully see face-to-face -to -face again, too. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to having all the guests in a bar somewhere in the West <laughs> at some point in the future. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for being, being on the show. And thank you for your very thoughtful um, selections tonight as well. Uh, before I hand over to Peter, it would be remiss of me not to, not, not to uh, mention uh, a couple of uh, Irish composers and their uh, pieces that would really fit this bill as well for anyone that's interested in playing some more uh, Irish uh, band music. That doesn't sound particularly Irish, actually. Uh, there's a piece called March Bazaar by Jared Victory, uh, premiered in 1985, uh, originally for Brass Band, but with a fantastic concert band ar arrangement uh, done very shortly after. Um, has a lot of chromaticism, has a lot of accelerando, has a lot of uh, of those those elements that we talked about tonight. So that's March Bazaar, uh, and I will have that in the show notes too. Uh, and then, of course, of course, Finnegan's Wake. Oh, I um, love that one. You know, 
what do we do when there's a when 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 there's someone to bury? We have a big party the night before, and uh, and and you know we we are having a party here uh, yeah. to celebrate Halloween as well. So I think Finnegan's Wake, mm-hmm. you could you could make it fit the bill of a, of oh, a yeah. Halloween themed uh, program. I think sometimes so, uh, and that's of course by uh, AJ Archibald Potter. Uh, and and for anyone that doesn't know all of his music, it is absolutely wonderful, absolutely, wonderful, yeah. wonderful music uh, that yeah. doesn't get played as much as it should globally. So. Uh, AJ Potter definitely mm-hmm. do a little bit of research and find out more about yep. him. Uh, Peter, I would love to hear about your honor because you really struggled. You you were messaging me and a uh, man. I don't know how to I, narrow this down. Piece, so. I know one piece was hard. I I I have to say I I went with my gut and actually you know Nick sent out his examples and so uh, he had chosen John Mackey piece. So then I said okay I won't choose. I, that made one of my decisions easier because I, <laughs> I, I had a John Mackey uh, possibility for the advanced band, Unquiet Spirits, which is mm. which is one of my absolute you know favorites of, of his, may, maybe my favorite of his. It's it's not just like like uh, the one Nick chose, maybe not the darkest sounding uh, at the whole time, but there's definitely this haunting sort of mm. uh, thematic uh, approach to it, and um, and and some just beautiful, just gorgeous moments you know um it's it's a piece that that you know would would bring out another element of this spooky world you know it's not so it's not in three four time at least not the whole time and so it doesn't have that sort of like groove to it that kind of um approach but it definitely as as a darker sort of uh color palette so i think that that's that's a beautiful one um i had a an intermediate band piece that i had fa- i you know, I wanted to, I did obviously a little research also, maybe not as much as Gail did. I have to, I can't say I, I did that much, but I did look through some tunes that I didn't necessarily know and uh, came across one by uh, Jorge Vargas, who's a composer who's done some work um, with um, with Grand Mesa Publishing, which, and I don't know a lot of his work, but there was a piece called Mystic Chant that was really very playable, grade two music that, um, maybe wasn't spooky enough for me to put on the list ultimately, but it, it definitely has kind of a kind of a very cool vibe to it that that, that was on my list of possibilities. Um, a piece, the other the, the the young band piece that got edged out was an, an older Anne McGinty piece called Emily the Ghost, which mm. yeah, and that, that that's one that I had totally forgotten about, quite frankly, because you know that we keep saying there's the music the. the, the the piling of new band music comes out every year and, and sometimes things get passed over. Anyway, that one I remember from a long time ago. It doesn't have a tremendous amount of percussion as a lot of maybe uh, some older selections you may find be the, be the case. And so I, I, I edged, uh, I went with a piece that had more percussion ultimately for, for this one and a newer newer piece. Um, I want to emphasize that, but those are the three on my on my honorable mention. That easily could have been the three that I chose, you know. Yeah. Well, where can people find out more about your work, Peter, and uh, and and what your because you you've had quite a bit of success recently with your with your catalog. Um, so, um, where can people find out more about it and, and yeah. do their own research? Yeah, thanks, thanks. I appreciate appreciate that. I've I've um, like I said in the last few years, things have started to kind of uh, snowball, and and some a lot of music has been put out there probably the worst possible three years to put a lot of music out, you know, um, but nonetheless, it's out there if anybody's looking for something. And um, I, obviously I, I'm published with a few different publishers and um, all the music at this point pretty much is available on Pepper, but you can access all of it through my website, which is just my name, peterciano.com. And um, 
I'm going to be at Midwest this year, and I would love for some people to, you know, uh, introduce themselves to me or give me an opportunity to chat. And and if anybody ever is doing one of my pieces and wants some insight or wants me to drop in, I've been doing a lot of uh, Zoom, um, you know, connections with with bands and question and answer sessions as well as rehearsal sessions. So um, I'm always very excited to do that. I, 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 it's uh, it's been it's been so much fun. In fact, I would argue that. Although maybe it's not the best time to have a lot of music come out publishing-wise, it was a great time to be a little bit more um, connected with people, you know, and and through this kind of platform to be able to connect because it kind of got the soul through those those 19 months um, in, in in finding some some new new relationships through music. So, you know, it's been okay in that sense. Uh, well, Peter, Gail, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, a very happy Halloween um, to <laughs> to everyone uh, that, that has tuned in and, and contributed and, and sent their own suggestions. Uh, if you would like to find out more about this podcast and the rest of the podcasts, uh, Global Bandroom Podcast, Finding Drum Corps and Bandemic, uh, you can head to globalbandroom.com. Uh, this week, we have put out an episode uh, interviewing Mark Moret, who is probably be responsible for many of the recordings that you've heard here tonight or at least over the the last number of episodes that we've done so we find about uh, find out about him his work his advice to everyone that's trying to record themselves in their band rooms at the moment uh, and also the history of the name mark records because it's not as egotistical as you may think um so uh this is it's a wonderful uh, uh conversation with, with mark he's a he's a he's a fantastic and very funny guy uh, and you can find that on the global band room podcast um feed you will also find this podcast uh, you, you may be listening to it on the global band room feed right now but you can also find it on its own feed uh, at repertoire happy hour on all of the normal uh, podcast channels and there is a final drum corps episode coming before the end of the year focusing on uh the wonderful in step uh, program that dci has set up in recent years um all about uh making sure that the activity is as diverse as possible and welcoming people from all backgrounds and uh, and and places so um, you'll be able to look forward to that and again you can find it in the global band room feed or in its own feed at finding drum corps dot um, com as well so thank you so much to everyone for for joining me and uh, a happy spooky halloween mm-hmm. thanks keith happy halloween thanks, thank you nice to meet everybody good night, good night. Bye. 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 Bye.